We're going to do our declaration. And I'm going to read pastor's text. Before you do that, I just, if you would, with me, would you just lift your hands right now and acknowledge God, whether you feel like it or not. Our God is not a feeling. He is God. Would you just acknowledge God right now? I want you to say this declaration with me whether you feel like it or not let's proclaim this and believe it together this morning in Jesus name Lord today by faith we declare that we are walking in the manifestation season as your faithful remnant we will house your very presence we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and he has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears We are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. You're not a victim this morning in Jesus' name. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. Receive that this morning in Jesus' name. We will live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. We declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven in Jesus' name. Yes, we praise you, Father. Pastor's text this morning comes from Genesis chapter 41, verses 41 through 52. Genesis 41, 41 through 52. And this is what it says. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up a hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath-Paniah, and he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out before the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of the seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and put the food in the cities. And he put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up the grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it, or could it be, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On, bore to them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second was called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Let us pray. Lord, we're ready to hear your word. And I pray you'd anoint our pastor this morning as he preaches your word. We pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the name of the Lord. Amen. It's good to see everybody here, and I want to tell you the Lord has laid something on my heart, and I know that it's very exciting because he had spoken to my heart and said that there is going to be life-changing events take place in this building today. I believe they have already done it through the worship service. Can you give him praise for what he's already done? 
Now, in advance, can you give him praise for what he's about to do? Amen. I want to get right into the word of the Lord. Now, this story, of course, is about Joseph, and there's a lot to be preaching about Joseph, and I don't have time on a Sunday morning to dissect that story because Joseph is a a, a character that we can preach on for a year. I mean, there's so much about his life, what he typifies, and what what his life, uh, how it's an example to us, how it's symbolic of the life of Christ. But this morning, I want to get right into the word of the Lord and give you something that I feel like that the Lord is specific speaking, I do know that the Lord has already spoken to me and said, I have sent two people into this building today. Not only is the word going to be relevant to a whole congregation, but there are two people that God has set up for a miracle here today. And I know that God loves us so much that he'll draw us from four or wherever we got to be to put us in the place where he can speak to us. So get ready to hear the word of the Lord today. Amen. In Alice in Wonderland, the book, The White Knight, as he prepared for a journey, he tried to anticipate all the problems that he might, he might uh, uh, endure or what might await him as he traveled on this journey. And to withstand all of the attacks of uh, the enemy, he first of all began to say, well, first of all, I got to withstand the attacks of lions. So he covered his horse with sheets of steel. To protect his horse from alligators, the knight actually attached knives to the legs of his horse. And by the time that the horse and the rider were totally predicted against all of the possibly danger, possible dangers that he could think of, the horse collapsed under the weight. In other words, there was too much put upon him. And so it is with us. We try everything that we can to shield and protect our lives from the pains of life. Every single one of us in this building build up walls. We put up, we put up uh, 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 defenses and everything to try to protect ourselves. But eventually, I want you to know that life strikes hard. And the greatest pain that you and I will ever go through in our life is a thing called grief. We don't pay attention to it. There's been two words been put on my heart. One of them is grief and another one is shame. And you'll probably hear me preach about shame in the future. But I want you to know that grief is a powerful thing that all of, all of us face. And you know, grief is more than just a sorrow connected to the loss of a death, the death of a loved one or the death of a child or the death of a spouse or a mom or dad or whoever. But grief is a feeling of deep sorrow and mental anguish due to the loss of persons, position, power, places, or things, especially the things that are attached to us and mean something to us. When grief strikes, we usually go through what we call a cycle shock. It's where protest happens, and then all of a sudden despair ends up being involved, and then there's resolution. And this is where we accept the loss, and we affirm to, we reaffirm to living with it in life. We just learn how to cope, and we learn how to tolerate it. We just learn how to deal with it and to live with it. Instead of time healing it, we learn to adjust life to accommodate the pain that it creates, and from day to day, week to week, year to year, we just keep pushing that pain forward never really dealing with it, but carrying it as baggage all the days of our lives. And we just make room for it to fit in and we make the necessary adjustments in life to where we just adapt and think this is a normal way that I've got to live for the rest of my life. So instead of being free from the grief, we give it its own space to remain and therefore we just say this is a normal 
thing for me. It's what I am going to have to put up with. It's what I've got to bear up. It's what I've got to carry with me. This is just my, my, uh, my state in life. This is just what it's always going to be. And this is manifested in people's lives through sorrowful spirits. Haven't you ever been around people that's just constantly sorrowful? They have no smile. They have frowns on their face. There's pain and anguish in their lives. And it also is manifested in people with broken hearts and depression. And then you see bitterness. And then you see anguish. You see low self-esteem. You see things like anger even rise up in their lives. Grief don't just mean deep sorrow, but it also means deeply troubled or annoyance. Have you ever been deeply troubled by something? Have you ever been annoyed by something? Have you ever got to that place where something just kept rubbing you raw and it just irritated you and, and you couldn't hardly stand it? Well, there's things in our lives, if we're not careful, that will remain there and it'll keep an open sore, an open wound our whole lives because it is a thing of annoyance and we seem to can't get rid of it. It just keeps rubbing us and rubbing us and rubbing us and when we think it's almost gone, it'll create havoc in our lives by an open sore and it begins to bring up painful memories and before long, we're back to suffering in our old grief all over again. Haven't you ever been to that place you thought, oh, I've overcome it only for it to come back with a vengeance, for it just to all of a sudden just reoccur. Have you ever been to that place? I have before. This happens to people who've experienced the loss of financial security or failing health or career opportunities, important relationships that's been dissolved. Maybe it's been a divorce. Maybe it's been the death of a loved one. Maybe it's been a tragedy of some kind. And before long, you keep looking back and you keep saying, what would have happened if only if that would have not occurred? What would have happened if I had not got divorced? What would have happened if, 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 if? And we look at it as if what has happened has somehow staged our success for our future. Somehow we think that because that has happened, I'll never be able to recoup and be what God's called me to be. It's almost like we look back at some of our experiences and say, if that would have been changed, I would have been a better person. I could have been in a better place. I could have had more. I don't know, but I, I'm getting ahead of my what the Lord's laid on my heart. I know that there's somebody here that has had a horrible financial loss. I know that. The Lord spoke to me that. And he said that they would be in this service today. And as a result of that financial loss, if you're not careful, you'll look at all of your losses and you'll think that that has literally robbed you of your future and that because of that loss, you'll never be able to have, you'll never be able to do, you'll never be able to go, you'll never be able to be prosperous the way that you thought you could have. So therefore, if you're not careful, you're going to be robbed of your future by crying over something that has happened in your past. That past has not been very long ago. It's just happened a short time ago. But I'm here to get ahead of my notes and tell you that God's about to rock your world and he's about to change things and he's about to turn things around and what you thought would rob you is going to end up, you're going to find out that God's going to bless your socks off. Can you say amen? Give somebody, give the Lord praise in this house for somebody that's going to get victory here today. Amen? Oh, hallelujah. I feel like preaching. Amen. We're not going to watch the Super Bowl. We're going to have a preaching series all day long. How's that sound? Amen? This is a Super Bowl here this morning. 
Life is a series of gains and losses. We have to figure that out for ourselves. But there is simply no way to live in this world without experiencing loss. We all experience it in some fashion, form, or way. And there's no way to live triumphantly without learning how to handle that loss and literally be able to deal with not just cope, but to deal with that spirit called grief. It is here that Joseph can identify with those that is going through these kinds of things, and his life speaks to us with such profound relevancy. Here is a man who learned to deal with loss, not once, not twice, not three times, not four times, not five, but multiple times throughout his life. You may ask, well, what in the world did Joseph ever lose? Well, first of all, the very first thing that he lost was his family. His brothers hated him, and they sold him into slavery, and it was there that he was taken away from his family. He lost his job as a servant. He ended up in Potiphar's house. It was there that Potiphar's wife had liked him and wanted to have a an adulterous affair with him and Joseph denied her and she falsely accused Joseph of sexual impropriety. And it is here that he lost his dignity because it was Potiphar that did not believe Joseph but he believed his wife and that lie that she had told. He lost his freedom because when Potiphar believed his wife he he had him thrown into a prison for a crime that he did not commit. And then he lost the prime of his life by being in that prison for for 13 solid years during his young adulthood life in that prison for something that he never done. He lost his childhood by being sold into slavery at just the age of 17. So how do you think that Joseph must have felt during all of this? Betrayed, lied upon, falsely accused, persecuted, stripped away from his family and his close friends, his brother. Do you not think that he didn't have to deal with anger due to the way that he was mistreated and the way that he was abused. Of course he dealt with anger. Do you not think that he dealt with the broken heart due to the rejection and the lack of love that he was shown from not only his brothers but even even those around him as he ended to get new relationships? Every time he would get in a relationship, all of a sudden that relationship would be broken and dissolved as well. Do you think that he didn't have to deal with loneliness and depression? Do you think he didn't have to deal with bitterness and anger and resentment. I'm sure that all of these emotions and many, many, many more went wild in the heart, the soul, the spirit, and the mind of this man by the name of Joseph. Can you imagine the pain and the loneliness that this young man must have felt as he spent some of the best years of his life from the age of 17 years old all the way to the age of 30 in an Egyptian dungeon for a crime that he did not commit 13 solid years. He lost the very prime of his life. And but in all that that Joseph lost, there's one thing that it's important. He never lost his faith. I love it, and I'm getting ahead of my notes just a little bit, but I love it when his brothers come to him and they finally are revealed that it, it, Joseph finally reveals himself to them and they're afraid because they think that now that the position that he's in, that he could have had them killed. He said, fear not for I am in the place of God. I want you to know that that's where we're going to end up here today. No matter where we've been, no matter what has happened, no matter what's going on, no matter how bleak it looks, no matter how dark it looks, no matter how serious it is, I want you to know that God's going to take you out of dilemma. He's going to give you deliverance and you're going to find yourself in the very place of God. Give the Lord praise for that prophetic word over your life here today. It was here in Egypt that God met 
or that Joseph meant the God of restoration. Though lonely, yet he was never lost. Though cast down, he was never cast out. Though persecuted, he was never abandoned. Though pursued, he was never forsaken. And though abused, he was never destroyed. It was in the very midst of Egypt, and the word Egypt means worldliness, that he found this God of restoration. Isn't it odd that sometimes we don't even look for God and God comes to right where we're at? Isn't it odd that God does not only meet people in the settings of an atmosphere like this, but God can meet you in your hellhole. Amen? God can come down right in the midst of all your mess and reveal himself to you. I love that about my God, that God don't always wait till we crawl into a place of an atmosphere of his glory, but God packs up a suitcase, puts a little glory in, and comes to where we're at. <laughs> Woo, hallelujah. Because to be honest with you, there are times I don't have the strength, I don't have the power, I don't have the want to, I don't have the knowledge, I don't know the way. There's times I just don't have the ability to get to where God's at, but thanks be unto God that God can push down every barrier that stands between me and him every door that is locked and every mountain that stands before us God's able to walk right through it and get himself to where I'm at to where he can bring me to where he wants me to go and that's what God's wanting to do in your life today God wants to come and crush the obstacles between you and him God can rescue you from the very rudiments of this world and its snares. God can rescue you right in the middle of Egypt, the world's entanglements and the world's prison. It was David that testified to this fact in the book of Psalms 40 and 2 when he said, he brought me up also out of the horrible pit and out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon a rock and he established my goings. There's a lot that we could preach there. First of all, he not only delivered David from the horrible pit, aren't you glad you're delivered from the horrible pit? But he lifted him up, he elevates us and he stabilized us by putting us upon something solid. He put us upon his own foundation, Jesus Christ, and it's a solid rock. He not only freed us from the pit, but he pulled us out of the miry clay, the places that kept us stuck, the places that kept us bound, the things that kept us hindered, the things that kept us from performance and fruitfulness. Can I tell you, you may feel stuck in your situation today and you say, I look and I see no evidence of change. I don't even see a possibility of change. This thing's so bleak, it's so dark, it's so impossible that this is just the way it's going to be. But ah, God's going to come and he's going to pull you out of the miry clay. He's going to put you up on a rock and he's going to do something now. He's going to establish your goings. You're going in and you're going out. God's going to establish that because the good man, his steps are ordered of the Lord and God is about to break the barriers that's holding you back so that you can pursue all of the holiness of God that you desire for your life. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody needs to praise him in this house. God freed David by mobilizing him and it says that he established his goings, his coming in, his going out. He was free. God wants to free you. He wants to get you out of the miry clay. I remember as little bitty boys, we used to go down to a little ditch and we'd always skinny dip. As little bitty boys, we'd sneak away from home and we'd go down there. And so we'd take our clothes off so our mom wouldn't know that we were down there. And we would get down there and we'd get in the water and there was a little place there that had just an old clay top and it, had, it was just miry. And you get to walking like this, and it was white, as white as a sheet, that clay was. And you get to walking, it was hard, and it gets slick. 
And, but if you kept pressing, you get deeper and all of a sudden underneath it was a crust, I don't know, some kind of a, a murky kind of stuff and it'd get down and you would get about waist deep. And if you wasn't careful, you better make sure there was enough people to pull you out because you weren't going to get out on yourself, by yourself. And there was one time we had a friend that got in it and there was about four of us and we were pulling and you could hear the suction of the earth, you know, just trying to just somehow keep him in there. And it just, we kept pulling and pulling. He was screaming, you're pulling me in half. You're pulling me in half. And so we thought, well, I guess we're just going to leave him. <laughs> but we kept pulling and pulling and we get down and we would dig and dig. And after a long, long, long time, we finally pulled him out of what we called the Mari pit down there. And I want to tell you, there's times when it seems like you're buried in it. You can't move. As a matter of fact, he was even having problems breathing because we got him a little bit too deep in it and there wasn't enough for his lungs to expand and he was having problems. He was having difficulty. And we were little and we didn't even realize it. But I want to tell you, when it feels like that your last breath is about to be taken away, when it feels like that there absolutely is no almost any life left, watch out because there'll be a light that'll come to you because God's not gonna leave you there by yourself. He knows how to deliver you. He knows how to free you. All you gotta do is just call out his name, just the mention of his name and he'll be there. He's waiting for your beck and call right now. So if you're in a place of despair, you're in a place of hopelessness, you're in a dark pit, you're in a place where it seems like that everything's against you and no one loves you I want to tell you there's one that loves you and he's waiting for you to call upon his name if you'll just say Jesus he'll be there to your rescue hallelujah oh lift your hands saints and praise the Lord for what he's doing oh, I gotta hurry here I'm gonna have to maybe skip some things but we see that God placed Joseph second in his command to Pharaoh and he blessed Joseph with a new family God did he had two sons. He gave the names that reflected the restoration power of God to these boys' names. His first son was Manasseh, which means God has made me forget my trouble in my father's household. Hallelujah. Are you ready to forget all the trouble? Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. The hurt, the pain, the rejection. You ready to forget about that stuff? His second son was named Ephraim, which means God made me twice fruitful in the land of my suffering. To restore means to bring something back into existence or effect, to bring back to a former or original condition, to put back in a former place or position, to reinstate or to return. How many is ready to get their stuff back that the enemy's stolen? How many is ready for a restoration to take place in your life? I got an old car and I got it and it was pretty bad shape when I got it and Jeff Darnell, I'd borrowed his trailer, went around all over the country looking. I'd go look at them and I'd look at them. They're too rough for me and I'd drive away from them. Jeff Darnell went with me and I went and looked at it and I'm trying to figure out whether I want it or not. I finally decided, and we're way down in Rome, Georgia, and I'm looking at this old car and I'm thinking, you know, it's got its good and it's bad. And I'm sitting there trying to determine and finally I decided I'd take it. So I go into the office to try to Jew the man. And all of a sudden the guy's sitting there and we're, we're talking about the price and all of a sudden, now nah, I think I'm just, he looked outside and he smiled and he thought, nope, I'm not gonna budge a dollar. And I thought, well, what in the world turned this conversation? Because we, I was headed the right direction and I looked out and Jeff Darnell's loading it on the trailer. 
He said, we went too many places too many times. We're getting this one. And it took several years to restore it back to its beauty, back to where it's presentable. And now when you drive it, it's a total different machine and people always come around them old cars and they say, I remember the day. I remember the day when I had one of those. I remember the glory day when I drove one of those old road runners. I remember the horsepower and I remember the Mopar. Ooh, that's anointed. (laughs) Do I have a witness in the house? Hey, there we go, buddy. And all of a sudden, I get to thinking that how many saints are always talking about that? I remember the day. I remember when I had that. I remember once I was an owner. I wished I had that again. Oh, I wish, I wish, I want, I want. And all of a sudden, God just began to speak to me and say, we need to quit talking in those terms and quit saying, I once had, but say, I can have again. It's time that you and I understand that the losses that we have and occurred in our lives does not mean that they are permanent. That the scars and the hurts and the wounds that we carry are not meant to be there forever. That God's got a way for not only you to be healed of what you had, but to restore you back to give you more than what you ever had. Can I have an amen? God does not just want to give you what you had. He wants to give you more than what you had. Can I have an amen? Oh, God, help us here today. But we see that God placed this Joseph second in command to Pharaoh, and here he is becoming established. There are things that happen in life to where people say it will never be the same from this day forward. My life is altered forever. And they carry it to the grave with them. Joseph could have easily done that with everything that had happened to him. He gets sold into slavery, thrown in a pit, first of all. And they're talking about killing him. That's how much they despised him. They didn't have no love for him at all. He's hearing those conversations of his own brothers talking about killing him. And then eventually one of them says, man, we ought to get something out of him. So they use him and manipulate him for personal profit and gain. Instead of killing him, they say, ah, we'll sell him. So they sold him to a band of travelers who ended up give, selling him to the house of Potiphar for a, to be a servant. It was there he great, had great relationship with Potiphar only for that to fall apart as well. And everywhere he turned, it went from bad to worse to worse. Have you ever been there? But in the process of going from bad to worse, there were always these little bright spots that kind of just Uh, kind of uh, antagonized you. It kind of just got your hopes up only for them to be crushed. Have you ever been there in life? Well, you think, oh, I'm finally getting a breath. Only boom, to be hit twice as hard as what you were before. Have you ever been to that place where it seems like that every time there's at least a good thought that the enemy then comes and blows your mind and pushes you backwards into the land of despair? And you find yourself, if you're not careful, thinking, oh my goodness, this has altered my life forever. My life will never be the same as a result of what has happened. My life has changed forever. There is no hope. My life is altered and therefore this thing will never be able to be restored. It'll never be able to be healed. Therefore, I'll carry the burden, the weight of these things the rest of my life. So I'll just make room in my life and accept it as just something that I'll carry until the day I finally die. 
That's where a lot of people are at in this building today. Things that happened to them in their childhood. Things that happened to them in their marriage that's been broken. Maybe you had two broken marriages. Maybe you've had three broken marriages. I'm not advocating divorce at all. I'm not for divorce. God hates divorce. But I want to tell you, your fourth one may be the best one yet. Amen? Your fourth marriage may be the best one yet. Just because you've had three rotten marriages and everything's fell apart does not mean you're marked forever and doomed forever. God's got a promise for you. Can I have a witness in the house of God? We are in a house that believes in restoration. Amen? It was David that said in Psalms 23 and 3, he restoreth my soul. Oh, I love that. Jeremiah 30, 17 says, but I will restore you to health and heal your wounds. I love that. You know the key word here, and I'll be mentioning it over and over throughout the rest of the sermon, and it's not long, but it's wounds. God spoke to me and said, there are so many wounded people. They're bleeding. They're hurting. It is an open sore that is never healed. And there's times it looks like that it might scab open only to break open again. And the next time that it's damaged, it's damaged even worse. And the sore just gets bigger and bigger, more infected, more infected. And before long, if you're not careful, it'll set up toxic in your life to where your life will be destroyed the rest of your life. You've got to understand that God wants to heal you of your wounds. Nahum said in Nahum 2 and 2, the Lord will restore the splendor of Jacob like the splendor of Israel. Though destroyers have laid them waste and have ruined their lives. In other words, the destroyers have come in and totally annihilate. But God said, don't worry about it. God's going to restore that. Been annihilated. How can he restore it? Well, how did he raise Lazarus from the dead? God can take the ashes of your life and make something of them. When it seems like that there's nothing there for God to work with, I want to tell you all he needs is a little bit of a smoking amber just so he could breathe upon it and bring it to life again. He's just got to have someone to have a desire. That's all that God wants is for somebody to say, I got a desire. You say, well, I don't have the faith for it to happen. I don't, I don't really believe it's going to happen. All God's saying, all I'm looking for today is your desire and I'll come and I'll provide the faith. I'll start manipulating and moving in your life to the manipulating things and moving them out of your life. And I'll start moving in your life because God's not a manipulator of life. He can manipulate things, but he don't manipulate you. But he'll start moving in your life and bring faith to you. That's how God is. Amen. So there's people here today that God's setting up for victory. The prophet Joel prophesied in Joel 2.25, and I'll restore to you the years that the locust has eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, four worms of destruction. The last one was the palmer worm, and when it got done, there was absolutely nothing left to where nothing was alive at all, to where there was a hope of no restoration. And God says, even when there is no hope, there's hope with me. That's what he's saying, and I could go into the four stages of what happens there. But not only do we see the Lord restoring his people, but he, com- he commissioned and entrusted the ministry of reconciliation to us as a church. When people come in with all the baggage, if we're not careful, we have the attitude like some churches, oh, I don't want to deal with that. Oh man, that's a lot of work. Oh man, they're repulsive. Oh man, I don't think there's any hope. We can't buy into that kind of a thing because us too was in that same place at one time. And if it wasn't for the mercy of God, we would be there right now. Because none of us have the ability to stay holy on our own. It's been by the work of grace in our lives and by the loving nurture of a church and of a body of Christ and of Christ himself and the Holy Spirit. 
So when these people come in, not only do we see the Lord restoring his people, but he commissioned and trusted us the ministry of reconciliation as a body of Christ. Paul commanded us in the book of Galatians 6, verse 1 and 2, to restore those that have fallen. He even tells us, those of you that are strong, help bear the infirmities of the weak. Amen? That's why we're here. Whether you know it or not, we are our brother's keeper. Amen? This is God's heartbeat, his mission, his desire is to restore people that have been hurt, wounded, and displaced. Do you feel like you're displaced? We've had a staff retreat this week where we've done some teaching to our staff and we got along. We had fun time. And at the end of uh, the session, we started the fun time. They were picking teams. I was the last one picked. John Gerald said, put it this way, for fun. Okay, I guess we'll have to pick the pastor like that. So the whole time I was there, I was playing the victim card. Why was I the last one picked? What's undesirable about me? Why did y'all treat me this way? Am I that bad? Am I that unskilled? Come on, you've been the last pick before, haven't you? Do you feel like that you're the guy that no one wants to pay attention to? You're the woman that no one has confidence in? I didn't feel that way at all. I was just putting on to have fun. But I'm here to tell you that there are people in the spirit realm that feel useless. They feel unloved. They feel uncared for. Matter of fact, they don't even love themselves or have any faith in themselves, which has caused them to get into that condition. And because they can't love themselves, they can't believe possibly anybody could love them because they don't even like themselves. Me and Jenny was talking one day, and we, I forget the words that she used, and finally it was something about, you know, how, that, uh, how, how, how do you put up with this, this, or this? And I said, I don't know. I don't even know how I put up with myself sometimes. And how true it is that sometimes we get into that place that we literally lose any confidence that we can be anything for God and that God can do anything for us. That it's as almost that everybody else is capable of achievement but not us. And if we're not careful, not only can we not love uh, or believe others can love us because we can't love ourselves, we will believe honestly that everybody else thinks that as well and we'll also think that they think they're better than us. And in return, I look out over this congregation I'm not better than anybody. I'm just saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And I know God's ability to take something that is of nothing and make it something. And God can do the same for you here today. And I'm on your side. Amen. I'm your biggest cheerleader. I am your biggest fan to tell you that God looks out and there is no garbage in this house this morning. There is no outcast. There is no second pick because in the eyes of God, we're all equal at Calvary. God loves us all the same. Aren't you glad of that? Give the Lord praise if you believe that with me. It's God's heartbeat to heal. Matter of fact, Psalms 147 and 3 said, he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up all of their wounds. All of their wounds. There's that word wounds again, isn't it? I like what Jesus said about himself. This is his mission. This is his purpose. This is why he came. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to those that's captive, 
to preach deliverance not only to the captives, but to preach the recovering of the sight to them that are blind and to set at liberty them that have been bruised, hurt, wounded, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Do you not understand that Jesus' presence was here today for what? To heal the brokenhearted, to give sight to the blind, to free the captive, to give liberty to them that's been bruised, those that have no liberty, no freedom, those that's bound, those that's, that's imprisoned, those that are shackled. God wants to free you today. Amen? God gave Joseph a twofold restoration so that he could say, that, say of the Lord that he's made me forgetful and he's made me fruitful. Look at somebody and say, before the day's over, I'm gonna be forgetful and fruitful. Amen? Say, I'm gonna be forgetful and fruitful. Say it. Jenny says, you got that first one down, Pat, real good, Kent. You're forgetful. Amen? But the fruitfulness I'm still working on. Amen? But these two blessings are seen in the names of Joseph's two sons. Let's look at the first one, the blessing of forgetfulness. How many know sometimes forgetfulness can be a, a virtue? Amen? My wife says, you don't forget. You just got selective hearing. You only hear what you want to hear. Amen? You and I got to understand that there are some things that God wants us to forget because there's some things about us that God's already forgotten. There are some things about your life that only you remember and no one else remembers them, but you hold them over your old head and think that everybody else is against you because of what you're thinking, which is craziness. How many knows that when you come to Calvary, God threw your sins into the sea of forgetfulness, then he put up a sign saying, no fishing. Amen. There's some things when I go before God in prayer and start praying about old things, God says, what? I don't understand. I don't know what them things are. They're gone. Why? Because they're in the stream of God's grace through the blood of Jesus covering them and God remembers them no more against me. You and I got to understand that this thing called forgiveness is a good thing. Let's look at this. Being Forgetfulness is a blessing. Remember Joseph, first son Manasseh means God has made me forget all of my trouble in my father's household. The healing of painful memories does not mean that we would not re, uh, remember them anymore or remember the past. Of course, there's things about the past to remember. But it meant that we could remember it without the feeling of crippling grief or loneliness or despair. They don't have to have an effect upon us. God has a way of healing us inwardly and the inward parts to where what is remember is no longer affects us. God's able to do that. God is a God of healing. It's like the pain of a child. Child, when you're delivering a child, there's a lot of pain, but there's a lot of suffering. There's a lot of anguish that takes place. But as soon as that child is born, in the light of the birth of that child, the pain is no longer hardly remembered. Even so, there is, even when there's injustices and wounds and injuries and pains and sorrows and hurts and regrets and shame that has taken place in our lives. Now, I like that word injustices, things that you didn't even that, that wasn't even your fault. They just come upon you by the fault of somebody else. All of those things that happen, yet when God gets done with those open wounds, he heals them and he turns on the scars. You might be able to remember them, but they no longer hurt you, nor do they ever have an effect upon you again. I got a scar here. I got many scars throughout my body. But I got one that happened to me when I was a little bitty guy. I was in second or third grade, and my mom had a can of... Uh, uh, potato chips, 
And some of you don't even know what that is. There's a little tin can about this running around and like pretzels, chopped pretzels in it. And it was about that tall and it had a top on it like a soda can. You put it like that and you peel it in order to open the can. How many remember those? So you're probably over 50 as well. And I would pop the top and it did it come off and it wouldn't open. So I went and got a big butcher knife. And I'm by myself at home. Wham, wham, wham. Guess what? I missed the can and hit my hand. The scar's about this long to this day. Right here it is. I can take you to the place it happened. I can tell you the story. The knife stuck in the hand and I pulled it out and blood was going everywhere. I thought I was dying. I ran to where my mom was at across the road. She thought I was dying. She was panicking. But the truth of the matter is I can look at that scar and be reminded of it but it don't hurt no more. And the things that you can remember, God wants to take to a place of forgetfulness. Not that you never reflect back upon it and learn from it and understand that it was a part of your life. But God doesn't want a part of that life ever to hurt you again because God can touch you in your inward parts. We don't have to walk around all the days of our lives dominated by pain and hurt, sorrow, grief, anguish, shame, rejection. Amen? And neither do we have to be controlled by bitterness, depression, anxiety, loneliness, anger, resentment, which was caused by those injustices that come upon our lives. Joseph was enabled to rise above the pain of the past and he moved on with his life and he found himself in the place of God. He overcome a dysfunctional family. Have you ever thought about his family? He lived in a polygamous household where there was different children born from different mothers. What a house that would be. Subsequently, there was not only jealousy between the women, but there was jealousy and intense sibling jealousy where, which caused his brothers to despise him and hate him and thought he was his father's pick. His brothers plotted to kill him, ended up selling him into slavery we've done talked about. Even Joseph's father, Jacob, didn't have much to believe in him because he wouldn't even listen to him about his dream. Joseph felt the weight of the rejection of his family and the hatred of his brothers. And think about the long-term effects that usually happens to a young teenage boy when these things happen to him. Joseph spent his late teen years and his young adulthood in a prison without family nurture and a godly role of, of, without godly role models. He suffered discrimination, rejection, abuse, paying for a crime that he didn't even do 13 years of his life, the best years of his life. Joseph had to deal with intense negative feelings at such a young age with no one to help him. Feelings of anger, doubt, bitterness, resentment. And when you add it all up, Joseph had all the excuse needed to cop out in life. He could make all kinds of excuses and say, I am the way that I am because, and he could fill in the blank. He could get into this thing called the blame game. I am what I am because this happened when I was a boy that scarred me for the rest of my life. Or this happened to me when I was a girl. This happened to me when I was 17. Or this happened, we can go and if we're not careful, we can fill in those blanks as well. He could have blamed God. He could have blamed his brothers, his dad, his dysfunctional home. He could have blamed Potiphar's wife. He could have blamed Potiphar himself. He could have blamed Pharaoh. He could have blamed the injustices, the unfairness of things that was dealt to him in life. He could have blamed his prison experience. He could have blamed his slavery experience. He could have even blamed the pagan environment that he was around in that dungeon in Egypt. The filth and the mentality there was horrible. But in all of these things, Joseph confronts the victim mentality of our day, which blames everyone and everything else for the way that we live and the way that we are. And he could have played the victim card, 
But I want to tell you, he chose to embrace the victory card. Amen. He chose that. And he became the victor, not the victim. Isn't that what our statement of declaration says? That we're not going to be a victim, but we're going to be a victor in Christ. His life shines as a glaring testimony to the fact that regardless of our upbringing, our environment, our, environment, our role models, our secular influences, our tragedy, our losses, our injustices, God's grace is sufficient to enable us to forget all of our troubles and move on to abundant life in Jesus Christ. No matter who you are, where you're at, you have no excuse. Why? Because Christ is here to help you in your present dilemma. Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind and, and reaching for those things which are before. There's no reason for us to dwell in the darkness of our past when our future is aligned with the radiant promise of God's glory and presence. But not only does God enable him to forget his past, but he also gives him another blessing. He gives him Ephraim. Ephraim, which means God has made me twice fruitful in the land of my suffering. I love this. Are you ready for this? Are you still with me? Say, yep. If you're not, wake up. Look at the two key phrases that's given to us. It's called twice fruitfulness. How many wants twice, twice fruitfulness? Joseph was blessed with what we call in Pentecostal terms, like Elijah and Elijah, the double portion. I want a double portion, don't you? I had a hard time this week. I, after the fast of 21 days, how many knows you get hungry? We went to a restaurant and they said, what do you want? I said, either that or that or that or maybe all three. <laughs> Amen. Couldn't pick between the two. I want, it's good to sometimes have a double portion, isn't it? Get everything you want. The term in the land of my suffering meant that the blessing of fruitfulness came while Joseph still remained in the land of his suffering. Notice this. This tells us that you can be blessed right where you are at. You do not always have to have circumstances to change or a change in venue to be blessed. And you don't have to get out of the negative environment sometimes in order for God to come right in the midst of that chaos and touch you where you're at. Oh, if I could just get out of here, God could bless me. If I could just move. No, 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 no. God wants to bless you right where you're at. Isaac was blessed a hundredfold in the year of famine according to Genesis 26 and 12, which helped him cope with the famine. When Job found himself in the midst of negative friends who were blaming him for everything that was happening to his life, Job said in Job 42 and 10, after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before. You know the story of Job, a very wealthy man, had all kinds of herds and sheep and money, lost it all, went through everything that he went through, but yet when God got done with him, God gave him exactly double of what he had. Amen? It was Naomi who said in Ruth 1 and 20 in closing, don't call me Naomi, meaning pleasant. Call me Mara, meaning bitter, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. She's blaming God. Spent a lot of time in Lodabar, which meant the place of no bread. Left Jerusalem the place of blessing, the place of bread. But later on in life, listen, we see something happening. We see that Ruth and Boaz provide Naomi with a new grandchild by the name of Obed. And then everything began to change. Obed means masculine, a one who serves and worships. This means that this male child will be a servant and a worshiper of God. Now listen to what Naomi says. 
Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a kingsman redeemer. He will renew your life and sustain you even in your old age. What a promise. Let me ask you this morning, what have you lost? Who have you lost? What's weighing you down? What's causing you to be brokenhearted? What's causing your countenance to fall? What's caused bitterness in your life? What's caused such a low self-esteem where you can't believe in yourself? What's caused the negative attitude that is poisoning the open wounds that's poisoning? What's caused that wound? What's going on that has made you believe the things that you believe, not only about others, but about yourself? Can I tell you that God's very present, God is a very present help in the time of trouble and in the midst of your pain, he wants to offer you here this morning two gifts. He wants you to, he wants to give you the ability to forget the pain of your past, but then he wants to give you and enable you to have a double blessing even in the land of your suffering. God spoke to me and said, there are two main people here that I have brought in the house of God. One has had a financial blow and they've already looked at it as something that's just gonna totally destroy the rest of their lives. It's not. I promise you that. If you're listening and hear the word of God this morning, and there's others that's come in here with deep relational pain because their marriage is on the rock. There's a lot of wounds. There's a lot of hurt. You've been wounded deeply. And you got some real serious relational problems going on in your life. And you just feel like there's nothing worth living. Why? There's nowhere to go. No, no, nothing to do. And, and you feel the rejection. You feel the pain. You're here this morning. But God says, I want to give you the inheritance of a double portion. In Pentecost, that means that we get the inheritance of his spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Ghost. And God is not only here to just save and redeem, but he's here to pour his Holy Spirit upon the congregation with a double portion. Well, there's power to rise up and walk in that forgiveness, not just to be forgiven. There are people that come to the altar all the time and ask God to forgive them, and they're forgiven, but they walk away, and they don't have the power to walk in that forgiveness. But God's saying, not only am I going to give you the ability to come and be forgiven, but I'm going to give you the ability to rise up and forget the pain by getting an inheritance of my spirit, which is a double portion that will enable you and empower you to walk in the victory of the midst of the problems that surround you. Though the circumstance don't change, yet you change. Watch this. God is saying, I want to do something so strong in you that the forces that's out there against you can't even penetrate the joy that I put in your heart when I do the work. Can I have an amen? That when God's spirit as an inheritance comes into your life, it's greater than the rejection that you feel from the outside. Hallelujah. God wants to tr you to trade all your pain and all of your sorrow and all of your weakness and all of those kinds of things for him. Because God wants to take away the spirit of heaviness and let you be clothed with the garment of praise. Would you stand with me this morning?